privilege to be here. Um, good morning. Today we're, we're continuing our At the Table series. We've been talking about um, how At the Table represents the idea of community, of connectiveness, of, of being known and knowing. Um, we believe that, that God created us for this purpose, that he created us for relationship. Initially, the relationship between us and him, but also with one another. That um, it is part of the way he has made us, the way he has designed us for our benefit and health so that we can thrive and live as he, he, he has shared in scripture with us, fullness of life. So, and what, what we've talked about is that there's so many people who feel disconnected. That even though we are always connected, you know, um, the, we went to a movie the other night and the, the screen was showing before the movie a, a wide view of everybody on their phone, like, like this. It wasn't actually live, but it, and then it was saying, turn off your phones, please. You know, it's like, but that's, we, we could be anywhere and everywhere and connected on the phone to Facebook, to Instagram, to something, right? Finding out what's happening with people around the world. Yet, right now, Andy shared with us just last week that, that loneliness and anxiety is more prevalent than it ever has been. Um, I, I, wrote, I, I went on and I wrote this down. It says, anxiety is affecting over 40 million adults. That is the most common mental illness right now. And they say ki kids leaving high school, young adults leaving high school, going into college, are experiencing more anxiety than they ever have. And it's leading to more depression. And it's leading to more suicidal attempts and, 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 and um Deaths. That's what I was looking for. This is serious. And that's why we're talking about how can we, as a community, Christians, we should be more connected than anybody else. We, ha we have something that bonds us, right? Across cultures, across age groups, Black, white, Asian, whatever your skin color or where you're, wherever you're from, we have something that connects us. And that's Jesus Christ. We should be the most connected people. Yet, these stats are the same in church in general as they are in, in culture. So that's why we're talking about the importance of at the table of connecting with one another. Most of us eat three meals a day, and over a year, that's 1,095 meals. Yeah, some, some get second breakfast, so you can, you can add another 365 meals to it. That's good. Um, if you average 20 minutes a meal, that works out to 365 hours a year, or 15 days a year. 15 days a year we spend eating. And probably some of us may, maybe much, much more than that, which would be cool, 
Some of us maybe eat like on the go or in the car or, I mean, we all do that sometimes, but I'm just averaging it out 20 minutes a meal, 15 days a year. That's a lot of time eating. Some of those times, we want you as High Point Church to eat with other people, okay? Intentionally invite your neighbors, invite your family, intentionally go to a restaurant and eat with other people. And while you're doing that, connect. Go beyond the surface level. Go beyond texting and you know, checking up on what's happening on Facebook. Go beyond the heart emoji and the thumbs up emoji. Those are the only two emojis I use. <laughs> Let's go deeper. Let's connect. Let's you know, get into each other's lives and because we will find that that's, there's so much greater health there. There's so much life there. It's better when we are connected together because we have been, again, we have been created for this. You know, some of our favorite everyday memories are made at the table, right? Family gatherings, dinner with friends, having neighbors over like I mentioned, but even just, you know, gathering together just at a, you know, a normal fam your, your family or with, with your roommates or wherever it is, at McDonald's, and you're laughing, you know, you're, you're telling stories, you're just having a good time. That human engagement is essential and really where a lot of our, our greatest memories happen. This was the same for biblical times as well. Um, think about Jesus. He would be strolling along for three years, right, of, of his ministry life with his disciples. How many meals would that be? It was 1,000, how many did I say? 1,095 meals times three. Over 3,000 meals. Hanging out with the disciples somewhere. I mean, you know, ballpark, don't quote me on that. <laughs> they were separated sometimes. It, it'd take a lot of work to actually get that number, but a lot of meals together. Think about the, the interactions during those times, the, the, the life-giving give and take, the bonds that were created. Jesus created us for that. He wants that to be at the center of our lives even though we're busy, even though work is demanding, family's demanding, we've got a million things. If you've got kids, you know, in the, in the you know, 12 range, not 12 kids, 12 years old, you're, you've got a lot going on. You're going everywhere, right? If, if, if you, you know, if you're at KSU or another university, you've got high demands on your time. That is our culture. We all do. We have to prioritize that. We have to make this important. Jesus would go out of his way to spend time with other people. Jesus would, would leave what he was doing and go to somebody's house. And that's what we're going to look at today. There's a Pharisee who calls out to Jesus and invites him to his home. And Jesus leaves what he's doing and, and decides, okay, yeah, I'm going to go spend some time. I'm going to have a meal with, with, with this guy and those he invites. And in the, the, this is, today, we're going to look at our most important connection. We're going to look at where, where really this connectiveness begins, that we are able to find connectedness in Jesus and then be able to give it to, to other people around us. 
Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever hosted a party or been to like a dinner party or a, um, even like a, a wedding and somebody unexpected showed up? Right? That happens. I don't know if you've ever, ever been to one like that where just all of a sudden, you know, the, the crazy uncle who was intentionally left out showed up at the dinner party or something like that happened. In this story, we have that. An unexpected guest comes to Jesus' party, comes to this dinner, and this unexpected guest causes a serious big scene. And we're going to take a look at how Jesus handles this and why this is going on. So you're going you're to open to Luke 7, um, and we're going to start in verse 36. We're going to go through 50 in just a moment. So we... This, this scene happens in the house of Simon. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's well-to-do. During this time, uh, it was very normal for a Pharisee to invite a teacher over to their home, and others would come, the important other people would come to the table, and often these homes would open up onto the street where people could could gather or walk by, and we see this many times in the scripture, where people could gather or walk by and listen in on what the teacher's talking about and what's going on in this discussion. It was a place where they would discuss important matters of the day, and they would discuss religion, and they, it was, there was a, a loud kind of a give and take, like a question-answer type of thing happening. And so that's the kind of scene that we're going to be stepping into. This uninvited guest shows up and causes a scene. And instead of shunning this person or removing this person, Jesus takes the opportunity to share some really big ideas. And I want us to grab hold of these big ideas today because if we do, they will change our lives. The first, and I'm just going to give them to you in the beginning and then you can weed them out as we go. The first is that unconditional forgiveness will lead us to extreme acts of love. That if we will embrace unconditional forgiveness, our natural response will be extreme acts of love. That's big. Second is that when we embrace forgiveness, we can begin walking in wholeness. That if we don't receive forgiveness, if we're not given forgiveness, and we don't give forgiveness, then we will continue to have part of us that is broken. We will not be able to walk in wholeness in what Jesus has created us for. And our relationships will be strained and often troubled. So here, here we go. It's important to know that, that Jesus has already been teaching and ministering in this area. Um, the scripture right before um, gives us a scene where these, um, the disciples of John the Baptist come and ask Jesus, you know, are you the one? And um, he responds this way. He says, go back. Jesus says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are, are cleansed, and the deaf hear. 
and he goes, he goes on, he's basically saying, yeah, I'm that guy, and this is what's been happening. He's been out teaching and doing miracles. And so the, the, this, in this scene, this uninvited guest has already experienced a touch from Jesus. And so then we pick up there. Verse 36. When one, when, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And it, it's also because you won't be able to really picture this scene if you don't know this. When they reclined at the table, they would recline on, on their arm and, and their feet would kind of be back a little. Okay? That's important to know um, because you will be very confused while reading the story if you didn't know that. A woman in, in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at, at his feet weeping, okay, at his feet behind him weeping. Now you're making the connection. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now it's common for the religious elite to be hanging out, but only the invited guests would be coming in. This woman has experienced Jesus earlier in the day and heard, or earlier that week, sometime recently, and heard that Jesus was going to be at this house. And she, being unclean, being a sinful woman, most believe that she was, she was a prostitute in that area, a well-known a well woman of the night. Um, and she, she, just think, think of, think of the, the audacity here. Think of the boldness here. She hears that Jesus is going to be at, the, at, at Simon's place, and she goes, must have gotten there early, because it seems like she was there when, when Jesus is reclining, and takes a spot in the house behind where Jesus is going to sit, the teacher. That is an incredible boldness. And then it says, early on she begins to weep. So she's, she's there, she's behind Jesus where he's, he's there, and she begins to weep. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're at a dinner and somebody starts crying, right, you're kind of like, what's, what's going on? You know, do you, you need help? What's happening? She's back there, she's weeping. And then she gets down, and her tears begin to fall on his feet. She lets her hair down. Now, already, this is an unclean woman in a Pharisee's home who is now touching the feet of the teacher. This, it, it just should never happen. So many things are wrong with this scene. And she's crying. She lets her hair down, which that is, is a sign of being undone. It, it, you don't let your hair down in public. And she's taking her hair and wiping his feet and crying. And then she, if she hasn't already drawn enough attention, she opens the jar of perfume, which would begin to fill the whole house, drawing complete attention to where she is, and begins over and over again, 
putting some on, wiping, putting some on, wiping. I want you to put yourself in this scene. Put yourself in the place of the sinful woman, because that's, that's us. If you're a man, you're not a sinful woman, you're a sinful man. Just help you out there. If you need help getting in the scene. Right? That's us. Put yourself in the, the place of the Pharisee looking at this, who invited Jesus into it, to his home. That's sometimes us too, right? The Pharisee known to be um, one who is really religious and, and perfect on the outside, but often not right in the heart. It's me. Put, put yourself in the position of those looking in and just listening and watching. Or in somebody who's a follower of Jesus watching this happen. Carries on in verse 39. It says, When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Right there, Simon is not just judging Jesus, but judging the woman as well, right? So he's, he, he's standing there from afar watching this scene, which, which would be offensive, completely offensive during the time. But not only does he judge the woman, but he also judges Jesus. If Jesus, if he says who he was, says he was, if he was a prophet, if he, if he was a religious leader, he would know what kind of woman this is. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And I don't know how Jesus said, said it exactly, but I, if, if I was Simon, I'd be like, uh-oh, here, here it comes, you know. Like, like, okay, I'm about to get seriously rebuked. Um, but here's the thing. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus could go, Simon, you look great on the outside, but your heart is hard and wicked. He'd done that before, but not this time, because he had a deep truth that he wanted to teach all these people looking in. He had something he wanted to say to each and every one of them, to Simon, to the people looking in, to the woman. He had a truth that would if they embraced it, would set them free, would bring hope, would bring peace, would bring freedom to their lives. Not only can it do that for, would it have done that for them, and maybe did, it can do that for us as well. In this moment, Jesus is trying to give them kingdom eyes to be able to look at something not from the outside, but look at what's happening really underneath. What's going on in somebody's heart? What's happening beyond the surface level? Because so often we judge what's going on in our culture by just the surface, right? There are so many things that offend us, that we take offense to, when maybe Jesus would step in and engage, would walk into the middle of that and try to see it with kingdom eyes. You know, have a little more compassion, have a little more love, and extend 
forgiveness, where maybe, you know, you, you at first don't even want to step into. You wouldn't even want to forgive because it's offensive. Ooh, you know, I don't, I, I can't have part of that. Hello, Simon. I can't have any part of that. I wouldn't, if Simon's like, if it was me, I would have kicked that woman out of here a long time ago. But what does Jesus do? He, he embraces her, essentially. He allows her to, to be there at his feet. This is radical. The gospel is radical. And it should have a radical effect on the way we see the world around us. It should change our worldview. We should see with kingdom eyes. We can't judge by surface level. We can't just look at these things and say, this is black and this is white. We have to engage into the mess and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So often we reject people too quickly. It goes on. So we got this scene. Here's Jesus. Simon says, tell me, teacher. He's like, okay, tell me, tell me what you got to say. And, and here's Jesus' response. He, he shares a parable. He says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owned, owed him 500 denarii. A denarii was at about a day's wage, so this was about a year and a half worth of wages. And the other 50, a month and a half worth of wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt of both, just wiped it clean. Now which, he asked, asked Simon, now which of them will love him more? It's not a trick question. Simon replied right off the bat. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Now, why do you think Jesus told this story instead of just straight out saying, Simon, you've got it all wrong. You're messed up. Your heart's, your heart's wrong. You're, ju- you're being judgmental. Why doesn't he just come out and, and kind of, you know, correct Simon in front of everybody? Jesus has some spiritual truths to teach here. And he's saying, he's giving this picture in this parable so that it engages their mind before he goes into what he really wants to say. Now you have to also think, okay, when he gives this parable, Simon must be going, okay, sure, where are you going with this, Jesus? You know, I mean, the people looking in are like, all right, well, I'm not sure exactly what's happening here. Questioning, what, what are you talking about? You're, you're talking about people being forgiven a debt, and you're talking about, you know, one, one being forgiven more than the other. And so he goes on. He says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon. So he turns toward the woman who's at his feet to, to talk to her. But who's he talking to? He's talking to Simon. So he turns towards the woman, and he begins to speak to Simon. And this is where 
the connection happens. The righteous rebuke comes in a sense. Um, And if Simon hasn't yet connected the dots, he will very soon. Jesus is going to compare this unclean, uninvited, sinful woman to Simon, this religious elite, wealthy, you know, has everything together from the outside leader. He's going to compare these two people. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you gave, you gave, sorry, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet repeatedly. He's like, this is what she has done. This is what you have done. What he was, those things that he was talking about, those were customary practices. At least water to wash the feet, because can you imagine walking around in sandals during that day? how dirty and stank those feet are. And think about this woman. She just gets right down there with her tears and her hair and is washing his feet. And he hasn't even washed them yet in a basin of water. That was, that was the minimum practice, was that when you enter somebody's house, you would, they would have a basin of water to wash their feet. And it already shows that Simon wasn't sure about Jesus. He didn't bring him in as the honored guest. He brought him in to teach. He brought him in to have a little debate and, to see, and kind of to see, is, this, is he really who he thinks he is? And he does, he, he, when, when Jesus comes in, he allows him to sit and eat, but he doesn't treat him with respect and with honor. And so Jesus says, therefore I tell you, and this is, this is the whole point, this is it. Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. So here you've got many sins. Now, if you go back to the story... It was talking about a debtor. One had a year and a half of wages. The other had a month and a half of wages. If, if we talk about many sins, maybe she had years and years and years of wages that, that, that she owed. She had many sins. But Jesus said, look over here. She has much love. Many sins and much love. For us today, we need to make this connection. That if we understand our state, if we understand what we have been forgiven, if we understand that we have the propensity towards sin, and that what we have come out of, the many sins, there's greater love to be offered. Much love will come out.
Sometimes it's hard for me to identify with this in the, the great sin because I wasn't a terrible person growing up. I didn't do crazy, crazy things. But Jesus even says, what is in your heart? If you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. If you have hatred in your heart, you've committed murder. He brings it down out of the, what you've done and brings it right into who you are, the very core, your nature. And I know I am wicked, left to my own devise. That if I had a movie playing, you know, of every thought I've ever had, I would crumble up and cry in the corner and want, I want, want to never be seen by any of you again. Does everybody agree? Is that you too? Of course it is. Of course it is. How can we ever stand, as Simon did, in judgment of somebody else? The Bible says you can't. Only God has that right. And at the same time, how can we not respond to the forgiveness that Jesus has offered us with great love back towards him and to the people around us? The thing that we have to do is we have to understand and identify with the sin and the propensity towards sin that is in our life and realize that Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cross so that we can experience forgiveness. We can experience his goodness, his grace, his wholeness through the, 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 what is given to us freely forgiveness just like this woman at some point earlier that day or that week she encountered Jesus in a profound way and experienced something she had never experienced before can you imagine her life she was an outcast by her peers she was unclean she 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 knew deep down that she was living wrongly and Jesus comes along and engages with her and offers her forgiveness. And her response is an extreme response of love. That she would, even though she knows she has a chance of being rejected again, even though she knows she has a chance of being kicked out, she would go to where Jesus was going to be, to this religious man's house, and engage with Jesus in such a way of intimacy and love that she would she would cry and wipe his feet and pour out the oil. She came prepared. She came with the perfume. What, what about us? What's our response to the love of Christ? What's our response to the forgiveness that God has, has given us? What's our response to the cross? We see throughout the New Testament that the early church would focus on the message of the cross. That there is forgiveness of sin. That your life can be changed because of what Christ has done. What is our response to that? Is it, 
mediocre, mediocre? Is it just make it through the next day? Sometimes, right? Or is it boldness and audacity and, and great love towards those around us? I have to admit that sometimes, sometimes it's just kind of mediocrity. Sometimes it's, it's, there's, a, there's a coldness to my response to what Jesus has done. God, forgive me. But when I identify with his great love, when I identify with his sacrifice, when I identify with my own sinfulness, that is when I, my, my heart is warmed, my, my faith is stirred, and I want to do more. I want to proclaim Christ's goodness and love for everybody around me. I want to be bold. I want to be audacious. Unconditional forgiveness, we started with this, leads to extreme acts of love. I had a mentor in high school who, this is all he talked about. This was it. Was forgiveness and love. Forgiveness and love. That we have been set free, that we have been made new, that we have a new life because of the love that Christ has for us. And if we will embrace that and receive it, then we will extend that to those around us over and over and over and over again. And, and, and for, for a long time, I was just like, enough, I get it. But he's like, you don't get it. You don't fully get this. And the truth is, you will never fully get this. But let's try for our whole life to understand this. Let's embrace the love of Christ. Let's embrace that forgiveness. Let's extend that to those around us. Jesus says, if you have anything against your brother, leave here and go and make that right. Let's extend forgiveness. Let's extend love in our lives. Because if we hold on to these things, they will eat us up inside. And they will destroy the relationships that God has created us for. I'm going to close down with the last part of this passage. It says, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other, guests began to, um, the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? So again, they're looking in with questioning eyes on, on what is going on. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman, she understood forgiveness. She understood that she had lived and made choices that weren't the best. But she also understood that Jesus loved her, that he cared for her, that he has forgiven her. And Jesus says, your faith, it has saved you. And then he says, go in peace. When we embrace forgiveness and we embrace the love that God, God has for us, we understand that we are saved from ourselves, that God has made us new, that we are new creations. We can walk in greater wholeness and offer so much more to those around us. Would you stand?
I want to end with this verse. It's 1 Peter 1 to 3. And then we're going to pray. It says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In him, great mercy he has given us, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise be to God. That should be our direct response to the love of Christ and the forgiveness of God. That he has given us a great mercy. That he has given us new life and new birth. That we have, our, our slate has been wiped clean. Literally, he says he has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, Jesus. We can celebrate that, right? Let's give Jesus a clap for that, right? We'll, we'll yell and scream at a football all match when somebody scores a touchdown, but Jesus has forgiven our sins. He has made us new. He has given us new life. He says there is hope in that. Over here, he says there is peace found in this new life. There is hope. There is peace. There is goodness. There is the abundance of life that God offers. When we embrace God's forgiveness, we recognize that no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter what, where we've come from, that God's sacrifice on the cross was enough. That it covers a multitude of sins. That there is nothing more that can be done for you. You are forgiven. You are wiped clean. Your sin is taken away. And the scripture says, if you will, by faith, as the woman did, by faith, receive that and say, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are God. You are Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. Then he says, you are made new. You're a new creation. Made to walk in newness of life that we would go now and extend what we have received, that we would extend forgiveness to those who have harmed us, that we would go and extend the love of Christ in a bold and audacious way, that we would be the type of people that would not hold on to what God has given us, but we would freely give it, like rivers of living water coming out of us of life. This is our response to what God has done, to the forgiveness that he offers. The same as this woman in here. She responded in a way that was way outside the bounds of the the cultural norms. That's the kind of people we want to be. That we would do anything short of sinning to proclaim Christ and see people's lives changed. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, for your love, for your forgiveness, that you have paid the price, that you came to earth, that you lived the perfect life. God, that you went to the cross and died so that we can have life. God, help us embrace that, walk in that, and then help us offer that to everybody we come in contact with. God, that we would invite our neighbors over. 
God, that we would go out of our way to engage those who are hurting. God, that we would enter into places that usually might keep us, repel us and keep us from going in because it's unclean. God, reveal in us the Pharisee. Lord, reveal in us, Lord, the areas that aren't pleasing to you. God, we pray that you take those things away from us. Lord, we give them to you. And Lord, help us walk in such a way, God, that honors you and glorifies you. Lord, let the the fruit of the Spirit come out of us and flow out of us. God, that people's lives would be changed by your presence and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any questions about salvation, about walking in freeness, about forgiveness, um, I'm around, the leaders are around. Please, if if you want to respond, you want to talk, we're here. Please make that a priority. You guys, everybody have a great week. Be blessed and go and touch somebody's life this week. Tell tell them that they are loved by God. Amen? All right.